A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. Well, it is a Tuesday, and that means I have my friend Gary Welch joining me today. And Gary, we have a lot to talk about today. I think that if there was ever a time to be a wrong thinker and stand up to be a wrong thinker, this is the time. Here lately, I mean, things have been bad all year long, all of 2020, which I am glad is behind us. But recently... I have never seen such a hardcore press to get everybody to say, here is a narrative, accept it. It is what it is. Nobody go out there and say, no, you're wrong. Nobody challenge us. Here is the narrative. I have never, ever seen this kind of hardcore press trying to put out a narrative on that. Sure feels like something is at stake here. And, of course, the the culmination of a lot of this is going to be happening tomorrow in Washington, D.C., when Congress meets to certify the Electoral College's vote. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the rally. My understanding is there could be upwards of a million people showing up uh, either to uh, to demonstrate in favor of President Trump or or to counter protest. What are your thoughts about the rally and counter rallies that are uh, expected to take place tomorrow? I have lots of concerns about that. We have, because of this, this hardcore push of this is the narrative and these are what's going on, there are going to be a lot of individuals, especially the Antifa types and the social justice warrior types, who are not going to take kindly anybody that's going to challenge that status quo to say, we don't think that this was a legitimate election. And there is some risk of violence at this thing. Yeah. And and sadly, I think there's even risk, though, on the part of the political right. Um, I know the poor boys think, hey, we're just standing up for America. But let's face it, they seem to get some enjoyment out of a good bare knuckle brawl in the streets. So I don't know. The feeling that we are living in uh, 1930s Germany is really, really strong. Even even if it, there isn't a Nazi party, you know, chomping to come to power, uh, the, the battle between the uh, very hardcore socialist or communist elements and uh, and their right wing counterparts. I don't know. It, it seems like we, we are being stampeded into um, fighting one another. And the people who I think are behind that stampeding that are working that division aren't even the ones out there in the streets. They're they're the ones sitting in the ivory towers. They're the ones pulling the strings from afar. So this is what you get with being compliant. And, And this is a social dilemma that we need to address and look at in that if you have the majority of the people just saying, well, we'll stay out of it. We're going to stay quiet. We're not going to do anything about it. Then you allow the extremists to set the narrative. Now, I always agree with if you are going to use violence to perpetuate your cause, that the 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 best solution is to make sure you just don't win. 
that, that if you create those political obstacles to say, okay, if you use violence, you are never going to achieve your political goals, it goes away. That is the most effective way. But on the other hand, if you are going to continue to use violence to try to perpetuate your cause, I do believe that there has to be some kind of resistance to it. Otherwise, you do get the Nazi Germany effect where they bully and they beat up people and they kill people who challenge them and object to them and nobody does anything. Now that's a problem in itself. But I think that that's where we're going is we're looking at, well, the only option is is we got to return violence with violence. And that's not going to be a good outcome. No. And I think you and I agree there are there are more options but uh, people right now don't seem to be very interested in, in pursuing those because they seem very vested in, well, we gotta, we've got to win this political victory at all, at all costs. And, uh, and realistically, in your opinion, Gary, d- is there any chance that this election is going to be swung to Trump? No, there's none at all. He doesn't even have the support of his own party. How can yeah. he? I mean, it's not going to happen at all. Initially, I thought he was doing something smart. I mean, Trump is a very smart, you know, strategic kind of thinking guy. And I thought what he was doing was setting up the run for a third party that, you know, he would start up another party with him at the lead of it and to get that going, because he has indicated that he wants some payback on the Republican Party. They, they have not treated him nice. But his recent actions have indicated, no, he he's going to fight to stay in and stay in power, which I guess goes with the ego. But it's a lost cause. Yeah. And I think with with the Republican Party turning its back on him, I don't know. Um, on the one hand, I appreciate the friction that Trump was providing against the establishment machine. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore, I am swearing field to him, fealty to him in all things. I just really appreciate that he he frustrated both Democrat and Republican establishment types in a way that I haven't seen any political leader do in a, in a long time. I don't think even Ronald Reagan frustrated their plans as much as Donald Trump has. Now, I'm sad to see that uh, apparently coming to to an end, but uh, it makes me wonder what comes next. I mean, look. You're going to have hundreds of thousands of people in Washington, D.C. tomorrow. Uh, the potential for violence in the streets, I think, is is pretty good. However, at the end of the day, most of those people, at least I think the ones who are showing up to uh, in support of Trump, have lives, have jobs. They have. Do you understand what I'm saying? They have things to, that, to, that they would have to give up before they commit to just, you know, mindlessly going around committing violence like their Antifa counterparts. And that's never been a description of those of us that that are are liberty minded or what we would classify as conservative. We we tend to be unless you are forcing us uh, with no options, violence is going to be the last resort. We tend to want to be peaceful. I, I think it's a win if a lot of people do show up. It will show that there is a large groundswell of support for him. But I don't think that that changes the narrative because, like I said, they're pushing so hard on this. They're getting to the point of being absurd. They're they're really getting absurd with their pushing of this narrative that the election is over. It's a foregone conclusion. It was fair. There was nothing wrong with this at all. You know, they're still going to push that, even though hundreds of thousands may show up and say, we think this is wrong. So I have some very uh, deep concerns, and I think you probably do as well. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world if Donald Trump isn't 
inaugurated for a second term. I do have some very deep concerns, though, about the the apparent manipulation or gaming of the political process. That leads me to think that, uh, well, those who are holding those those reins of power are going to be doing everything that they can to make sure that nobody to the right of Kamala Harris ever gets near power again in Washington, D.C. Are those fears uh, irrational? Are they well-founded? Well, they're legitimate, but I don't think that that is going to be necessarily the case. Um, I've often, I have often said that there are polls and then there are polls. And a lot of the polls that people don't see indicate that there really is more of us who are liberty-minded, who have that liberty-freedom type of approach to things, than there are those who believe in socialism. And and I know that the talking heads and everybody like to promote this, oh, we're doomed, we're in trouble, <laughs> you got to get up and fight, you know, because that gives them ratings and that helps them out and that gets everybody stirred up. The reality of it is, is we've always been the majority. The problem is we have not been an active majority. We've always been a very quiet, passive majority. And all it's going to take is that resolve, just like in World War II. We were, you know, we were very passive. We didn't want to get in the war. And then they attacked Pearl Harbor. You know, and that giant woke up. That giant woke up, and boy, did he carry a big old stick with him. You know, it's interesting. I, I had a friend who uh, was... Uh contacting me about a comment that uh, that I had shared from a commentary from Jeff Deist, who said, look, we are at the point of we're in post-persuasion America. Basically, people are beyond where they can be persuaded. And his take was what that means then is our solution is going to find is going to be found not in fighting in the streets, but in hard federalism, meaning that strict separation of state and federal and local powers. And he said also a relocation. And, and my friend took exception to this and said, I don't think the founders would have agreed with that at all. Now, I happen to think the founders were probably more hardcore federalists than most of us. But uh, when we come back from the break, let's let's talk a little bit about that and, and what it might mean for a person to or persons to organize themselves, if necessary, to separate themselves from the state or the region in which they've been living if things are intolerable. We'll take that break. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Welcome to The Brian Hyde Show. I want you to check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Gary Welch is my guest. And Gary, I'm grateful once again for a chance to pick your brain because there are so many moving parts that are that are in action, in play today, that uh, I want to I want to make sure we're covering all the, the salient points. Something you mentioned to me in during the break, and, and I would really love to explore this within earshot of our audience. Um, there's a lot going on. People are concerned. I'm sure you're having conversations where people are like, Gary, what can we do? How can we stop this? I mean, they're they're afraid. You were mentioning to me that uh, we don't need to have 
a supermajority. We don't have to have everybody on board in order to to implement some very impactful solutions. Why is that? So one of the things that it, it was actually even somewhat brought out, we didn't go into full detail with it um, in the Embrace Capitalism book that you wrote um, and that I helped you with. And in that book, we talk about something that is a myth that has always been there and we've always been deceived by it in thinking that our founding of this country was based upon the people and that the people were going to run the government and the people were everything and the people were, were going to, were involved in politics and all that stuff. And our point is this, that never did exist. It never will exist. The average person in the United States in 1820 had no concept of what was going on politically. They didn't even know what was going on. They, they, most of them couldn't even read. And they weren't sitting there saying, well, I'm going to check out this candidate and that candidate because they hardly ever saw them, if at all. Maybe in locally they were doing things. But this concept that there was this groundswell of this population that was politically active, that never existed, and it doesn't exist today. The vast, vast majority, I would say somewhere between 90 to 95 percent of all the voters that vote have no idea what they're doing, have no idea what's going on politically, have no idea other than the very surface type of stuff. I would say that our voters now are more educated and more politically enlightened than the voters of 1820. But I would also say that they are just as complacent. And trying to say, okay, we got to get this groundswell. We've got to go to that 90% and get them all motivated and going is a lost cause. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of manpower. The other side of this knew this a long time ago, and they've been perpetuating results after results because what they recognize is all we have to do is get the politically active. Just those who are very strongly politically active, which is in my book, I think there's less than two or three million of us. Just activate them, and then we go ahead and enact our will upon the population. And as we see, they pretty much go along with it. That almost sounds uh, a little bit sinister. And, and, I, and, I know, and I know you don't mean it in the sense that, aha, finally, you know, we come to power and, you know, it's, it's our turn. But um, I guess you're, what you're doing is you're describing pragma- pragmatically. This is how politics works. If you want good people, principled people who believe in limited government, who believe in private property, free markets, personal liberty, freedom of conscience. That's that same process has to be followed in order to bring them into that political power. So to achieve success and to change the results, you know, to get results immediately, yes. Eventually, we get to that point. We, we can get to that point and we should get to that point of an enlightened society that is very much in control of their destiny. I would like to maybe see that happen. But as of right now, we have to accept the reality for what it is. And the problem is, is, is we, we base this on this principle of, well, that's, you know, we got to go out to the population and get them to all agree with us. And because of that, you're wasting time, you're wasting effort trying to talk to a people that don't care. They really do not care. And, and a lot, again, again, this is a lot based upon these misconceptions of what our country used to be. We used to think that they did care and that they were involved. 
That never did happen. And it, it absolutely did not happen. And so understanding that is how we get results. And that's what's really important. We need to get results. So talk to me about uh, can we get results, though? Let's just say, for instance, that uh, just hypothetically that there is uh, voter fraud. I mean, you know, just pretend that there is. Use your imagination if need be. Sorry, I'll turn off the sarcasm here. <laughs> but can we trust can we trust that uh, that voting system? Because I'm having some real serious doubts, and I know I'm not the only one. And it's not just because, well, Trump is not going to have a second term. It's because there were a lot of inconsistencies that uh, that appear to have been declared, you know, by the media and other uh, political interests. Well, that's no longer an issue. Uh, we put it to rest. Well, that's not good enough. So I, I have some issues about it. Can we trust any elections that will follow? Yes, when we have to. And here's here's what I will tell everyone. Um, and, and having worked in this system and seen it up close, I can tell you that, yes, voter fraud exists. Voter fraud is not as minimalist as the newspapers say, but it is not as extent as what the other side says either. We are not talking about millions and millions of votes that are fraudulent. We're, we're really talking about countrywide, nationwide, maybe in the neighborhood of under somewhere under 100,000 now, which is a lot. So if you have a close election, which is what we've had in the last, what, four or five elections, they've always been decided by a couple of hundred thousand votes and sometimes even less when you're looking at the state votes like Pennsylvania, Georgia and others where you know, we're talking maybe 10,000, 11,000 votes makes a difference of whether or not you get elected. Yes, there is that possibility. But to just give that whole sale saying, okay, you know, that's going all over where let's give up. We can't fix it. No, it's in fact, it's going to be very easy to fix because voting is really done at your county level. When you really look at it, your state does a lot to it, but it really is your county that really dictates the rules on voting and can set these, you know, the established procedures for that. If you are able to put your people in place, people who have this mindset of we're going to take care of the situation at the county level and have success in that, we can pretty much solve this problem. Now, does that mean that it's going to be easy to solve this problem? Oh, no. Oh, gosh, no, 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 okay. no, no. no. No, this is a multi, multi-year, I mean, it's like a 10-year process to get it really, really fixed. But what I am saying is it is possible, and I would not say that if you take the attitude that every election is going to be totally fraudulent, your vote doesn't count, um, you don't really have a say anything in that, I think that that is not only wrong, it's dangerous. Interesting. Um, we need to be very active still. This is one of the few places where you and I may disagree. And I and yeah, I just I have I have the uh, the idea in my head that uh, a person's vote is an expression of their conscience. And for those who abstain from voting so as not to give legitimacy to a system that in some way has insulated itself from actually being accountable. And I, I think that largely describes the voting system in many ways. Um, you know, if a person wants to with withdraw or abstain from voting. I can understand where they're coming from. 
Now, I think they may be missing an opportunity. For instance, today in Georgia right now, there's a Senate runoff race. And uh, I know of at least one person personally who said, I'm handing in a blank ballot. I don't want to vote for any of the four choices that I've been given. And I refuse to, you know, accede to this false choice or false dilemma that's been handed to me. Um, So there has to be a balance struck. On the one hand, yes, that could cost the the party, you know, uh, from from a political standpoint, it could cost them in the short term. But I think I'd rather see a person live up to their principles in the long term. Does that even make sense? Oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about being right and being effective. I love to have this conversation. Okay, very good. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, an invitation. Please take the time to go to thebrianhydeshow.com. Visit the show notes. And listen, if you find value in the discussions that we have, the articles that I share with you, um, please consider becoming a patron of the show and and lending some support. I'm not saying, boy, you know, cut us a big six-figure check. I'm just saying for, you know, a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, you can make a difference. And it is greatly appreciated and is is used like like the sacred fundage that it is. That said, I have Gary Welsh as my guest today. Gary, as we went to break, you mentioned the difference between being right and being effective. Let's explore that a little bit further. So one of my big things that I'm trying to push, this is a recent thing that I've started talking about a lot, is the difference between being right and being effective. If you are right but not effective. And there's a lot of individuals out there, especially those who belong to third parties who are very principled people. And they believe in these principles that they're standing for very strongly and they act according to that. But here's always been my point. If you are right and, and you are not effective, the only outcome of that is you get to say, I told you so when they come breaking down your door to haul you away to the concentration camp. That's all you get out of that. Oh, if that that and the right, fact that, that and the fact that you get to die with your conscience um, intact, as opposed to well, I sold out and I held on for a little bit longer than the guy who just got hauled away. Correct, and and so what I say though is you have to be right and effective, and when you sit there and say, well, uh, you know, I'm right, and that's and that's all you, you need, then you're losing. You're going to lose ground. You have to be effective. And that means using those principles in a way that you're going to get results. And sometimes that does require compromise. You never compromise backwards, but you do compromise forward. And in other words, I want to move a mile down the road, but I'm being stopped from doing that. I'm willing to take 10 feet. Then I'll take another 10 feet. Then I'll take another 10 feet. And what I find is the principled people are saying, no, I'm not going to even compromise to get that 10 feet. It's, it's all or nothing. And that's all there is to it because of my quote unquote principles. So let's bring this into the realm of consent, because I know for a lot of people, myself included, 
uh, the, the vote equals consent. You know, this is this is me expressing my consent or at least lending my con, uh, my uh, condoning of the system by participating in it. But if a person reaches the point where they say, you know what, this system no longer represents me, it, it does everything it can to nullify the effectiveness of my vote or it offers me false choices between bad and worse. I don't want to participate. I think it's absolutely acceptable for a person to withdraw their consent. And I say that based on the Declaration of Independence and the idea promoted there that the just governments or governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, it's not a given social contract notwithstanding um, it just because I live in a particular geographic area doesn't mean that uh, my fealty, you know, is is absolute to whomever happens to be in power. And so I'm, I'm curious if there's a way and maybe maybe in your opinion there isn't. But I just wonder if there's a way that a person can withdraw their consent and and just simply detach from the system. So you and I talked about this during the break, and, and the issue is, is this an individual withdrawal of consent or a mass withdrawal of consent? And I hold that, and you can argue with me on this, I hold that if it's just an individual withdrawal of consent and you say, okay, I refuse to pay taxes because it supports a, a tyrannical government. Um, I, I refuse to uh, incarcerate myself because I do not believe in this COVID um, and, and all these other things that you do on your individual self. And we've seen this with like the Branch Davidians and, and the Weavers and, and folks like that who have just said, I'm going to stand up to you. Well, what happens is the big machine comes in and it just squeezes you like a little bug and they move on. And, and as as I was telling you during the break, I, I absolutely admire it's my favorite picture of that guy at Tenement Square standing in front of the tank. I mean, that is my like, ooh yeah, oorah moment. But what happened to that guy? He got dragged off and, you know, shot. <laughs> we haven't heard from him, but we all know what happened. Yeah, At the end I, of the day, did that change? Well, I think it has to start with the individual, though. And, and, and let me let me try to defend why I think the individual is the beginning of, you know, a principled stance that then spreads out to the mass movement. I don't think it can come from the top down. And, and the reason I believe that is because I think mass movements can very easily be co-opted. I mean, we saw this with the Tea Party, uh, what, you know, 12 years ago or so, um, maybe maybe a little bit more. Uh, but the individual who stands on principle, and, and even if it's something unpopular, I'm not going to send my kids to government school, I'm not going to take the vaccine, whatever it may be, they do pay a price. Even if they're just trying to be left alone, you know, somebody, what, he wants to be left alone? Well, he must be doing something illegal. And, and usually it's somebody else who will try to escalate and force the situation into some kind of a, a confrontation. But that's where I think it starts. And then from that, others take heart and say, you're right. I don't want to do this either. When it does reach a, a, a critical mass, which is not 50% plus one, but more like about 10% of the people hold that belief right. strongly, that's when you see it spread generally through society. So what I always say is that we are a social beings. We are social beings and we require group effort. We want to belong and require that that there has to be a lot of us that agree with us. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right, but we require that community 
to do things. The individual that stands out from themselves. Now, if they make a big deal about it and it gets on the news and they get the word out, you know, like I'm standing up for this because it's wrong. It can have an impact. I will not say that that's never had that impact where one individual caused the movement, but the movement required a massive amount of people to get involved with it. You just cannot do it by yourself and say, this is going to achieve results. It always requires an organization of some kind. And I think this is one of the, the issues that I struggle with, with those who are liberty minded. You know, this whole thing about individualism Mm -hmm. is you do need the power of a lot of people to make change happen. Now, I agree with you. It's not 50% plus one. It could be 10% of the right people who are in the right place doing the right things. But to think that we cannot do this without some kind of gathering and structure and organization, if you will, I I think is just wrong. I I used to argue a lot with an individual that said, I don't believe in political parties. You know, then he he quoted the founding fathers and saying that same thing. And I always pointed out, yeah, but every one of them created a political party and everyone belonged to a political party because they realized you need that structure. You need the organization. You need the the ability to get to motivate and and have the processes in place and get the volunteers in place and the money. You need those things. And that requires a lot of people behind you. It seems that. at least to the to the extent that partisan politics goes today, um, participation though requires uh, a much deeper surrender of one's principles. Uh, and I'm talking, you know, the two major parties here primarily. In order to play that game, you got to be willing to sell your soul. You don't get to sit at the table unless they know, like Mitt Romney, you can be counted on, you know, to to be our guy and to stay bought. And, and that's who I think I hope that we are appealing to, to the wrong thinkers is, you know what? You're absolutely right, Brian. The two major parties are totally, thoroughly corrupt. And I don't even think there's any saving of them. I don't think we can save them. I don't think there's any reform left in them. I really believe that they are so corrupted. And, and those we I think both of us have seen where those who have tried and they got trampled on, you know, it's just beyond. But we have to do something. So that requires, I guess, a third party. But more importantly, what I'm saying is let's have an effective third party. We've got lots of third parties, but as of yet, I haven't seen an effective one. Not one. No, that's a good point. When we come back from the break here in a couple of minutes, uh, Gary, let's talk about uh, is Trump going to start his own party? Would he be justified in starting his own party? And and for that matter, you know, are, are his opponents going to let him stay out of prison long enough to start a party because it sounds like they're definitely sharpening the knives once uh, once he is out of office i i have a feeling that uh, they're going to be coming for him and most likely for those who most strongly supported him maybe that sounds paranoid but hey i just watched my country or some of the big cities in my country burn for about six months so i'm saying it's not exactly out of the realm of possibility given uh, the mental state in which some of these folks are operating Gary Welch is my guest. We'll come back. We'll finish our conversation. Just the other side of these messages.
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. All right, we're having quite the conversation here, Gary. I don't know how many of the world's problems we're solving, but um, you are definitely tackling and, and talking me through some of the questions that have been on my mind as I try to make sense of all the crazy stuff going on around us. I, I know we had commented, you know, as we went to break, anything is possible. I mean, we, we are in a crazy enough time. Anything is possible. Is it likely, for instance, that, that Trump would uh, create a new political party? Spend the next four years, you know, uh, building a coalition that way. Would he be justified? Well, he has made at least three known comments where he indicated that that's exactly what he wanted to do. He always framed it in the model of it's going to be payback for all these Republicans who betrayed me. But it does have very legitimate reasons behind it. He tried, thinking that as president, he would have that kind of ability to reform the Republican Party. And now I'm not saying that he was doing a complete job of reformation. And in a lot of ways, I find that Donald Trump was every bit the typical politician that all of these politicians are. But he was trying to make some changes within that. And they absolutely resisted him. His own party betrayed him. And again, it just goes to show just how corrupt that organization is. And so we cannot allow it to continue. It's It's got to change. And I think he does want to do that. If if he would have taken a little different path, I think he would have been well on his way to doing that. In fact, I would have done it long, you know, right after the election. I would have just started taking that path. But him being who he is and his ego got in the way, you know, he's now trying to do this thing, which makes him look like a power monger. You know, he's just in it for the right. power, which hurts his cause. If he just would have, like I said, just understood like what was going on, knew from I knew from the very beginning he was not going to win this battle. But he could have established that it was a fraudulent election, that Joe Biden was an illegal president, that he did not lawfully achieve that position. And he would have been much stronger position. However, being who he is, I give it about a 70 percent chance that he's going to start his own party. Interesting. And and I don't know how to communicate this effectively. I try to, but people ignore it. You know, if you if you doubt the outcome of the 2020 election, well, you're just a Trumper. You're just carrying water for orange man. And, you know, that's that's the course a lot of people want to go down because I guess they don't want to consider maybe just maybe. I don't trust what the media is telling me. You mentioned at the very beginning of the show, you've never seen a full court press of disinformation and spin like we are seeing right now. And and I have to admit, I've only been paying hard attention for about the last 25 years. I've never seen anything like it either. I've, I've never seen such opportunistic politicians, both Democrat and Republican, trying to maintain, no, 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 this is the narrative. This is what you have to believe. And the problem is, I don't trust them. They are liars. They are opportunists and they are, are thieves. So I, I'm not going to take it face value when they say, hey, hey, we've settled this. We've counted everything. And, you know, it, it all tallies up. Trump lost legit. 
I tend to think no, I, I don't think that's the case. Otherwise, you'd, yeah. be, you'd be you'd be a lot more eager to say, yeah, let's investigate this. Fine, let's let's prove once and for all if truth was on their side. But nope, we've settled it. Nothing more needs to be said. Look over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what really got me was as I was researching and looking into this was the absurdity of what they were saying. And it was no less than three different news sources. Now, granted, they were very liberal news sources, but no less than three different news sources saying, yes, there was fraud, but it was only one or two votes. And I'm like, oh, come on. There's never been an election that is that is the case. There's always, always at least a thousand votes that are fraudulently done. And that's especially true in those states that have things like mail-in voting or Dominion machines, obviously, that we, we're seeing this. And so for them to come out and, and really push that narrative like, oh, no, there was just one or two fraudulent votes and that was all there is to it out of the millions of votes cast. I'm like, my goodness, guys, you're really going down a, a hard to sell path. And yet three different sources said the exact same thing. Yep. There's there's just there's too much political opportunism that seems to be taking place. And the whole idea of, well, now that the bad man is going to be out of office, we can all come together and heal. Sounds a lot more like, OK, now that we have control, you all need to shut up and get in line. And I'm not inclined to do so just because, uh, hey, I'm a free man. You don't get to tell me to shut up and fall in line, even even with the social justice uh, leverage that, that that is being used, you know, in so many arenas. It still isn't going to work. So I guess that makes me a pretty bad person. Hmm. Guilty. Now, that, Guilty that as charged. That makes you a regular person. You makes you a regular person. All human beings. This is what I've always said is the secret weapon. The reason why I have hope and optimism that the socialist experiment is going to fail is because something that I know that is part of our human behavior, I call it a God-given um, gift given to us, and that within us burns a fire that resists chains. We hate chains. As a species, we've always hated chains. And no matter what form they take, when people start putting chains on us, we resist. And we have within this a flame for freedom. We, we desire freedom. We desire liberty. Again, I go to the guy in Tiananmen Square. Where did he learn that? He, he grew up in a propaganda machine that was intense, where every day at school he got it. Every day on every billboard he got it. He got it from TV. He got it from the radio. It told him to behave and comply. Somewhere him and 10,000 others got up and said, no. Where did that come from? Well, I'll tell you this. The people who are, are really concerned, and there's a lot of them who are asking, what do we do? What do we do? Um, I don't have the answers. And anything I did offer as an answer probably would be wrong because I'm just I'm not that smart. I'm not that experienced. However, if I were to recommend some reading material, I would not recommend that you pick up Machiavelli. The Prince. <laughs> Obviously, that's the playbook that is being followed by uh, many of those within power. I would recommend maybe picking up something by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, for instance, maybe the Gulag Archipelago. 
Yeah, you're going to learn um, what real evil looks like because he very unflinchingly describes what it looks like, how it operates. More importantly, though, you will learn from his firsthand experience how a good person becomes a better person under almost impossible circumstances. I don't think he ever stopped fighting, you know, to proclaim the truth. But uh, sitting in the gulag for as many years as he did, his opportunities were, were somewhat limited. And he points out the areas where they could have stopped it before it got that bad, but failed to do so. And I guess that, Gary, this is where, where we are today is um, at some point we've got to realize that point where we have really we have nothing left to lose or not as much to lose as we think we have to lose is approaching a lot quicker than we think. Correct. So stand. Your right. thoughts, your final thoughts. I'm absolutely with you. We, we need to stand up, but we need to do it right and we need to figure out some, well, here's the big thing. Let's start doing things differently. What we've done in the past has not worked. So let's just start there. Acknowledge that what we have been doing has failed. We are not gaining ground. We are losing ground. And when you are in constant retreat, you're going to lose the war. We need to turn this around, which means that, okay, let's look at things differently. And I do believe we require an organization to do that, that we need to get behind a political organization, whether that be a political party, which is what I really do believe it should be. But any kind of organization where we could all get together and create change is what we need to do. And if Donald Trump can facilitate that with his money and his influence and whatnot, brother, come talk to me, man. I've, I've, I've got a message for you. Well, I like that message a lot more than the message that seems to be um, undergirding most of what uh, the mainstream and political chatterboxes are saying, and that is fight. Go fight each other. Let's you and him fight and, and settle it this way. I think uh, I think we're, we're in very dangerous territory, depending on how things go here in the next 24 hours or so. Um, you know, I, I know it sounds dramatic, but I think, you know, the the fate of our nation right now is teetering. We're on a very real precipice, and we should probably act like that. This isn't the time to get reckless and, and emotional. Gary, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to suss this out with me today. Loved it. All right. Check out the show notes, thebrianhydeshow.com. Show some love to my sponsors. Consider becoming a patron yourself if you are so inclined. Thanks again for being part of our audience. This is The Brian Hyde Show.